This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As you've probably heard, the richest man in the world is trying to buy Twitter. Last week, Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk offered more than $40 billion for the website. Musk says he wants to turn Twitter into a free speech haven with fewer rules for what people can share and say on the platform. But some critics say this would give free reign for hate speech to flourish. Joining us with the latest is Elizabeth Dwoskin, Silicon Valley correspondent for The Washington Post. Welcome back, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me back. So let's start off with the latest. Tell us how far along has Musk gotten with with his attempt to buy Twitter? Well, just today there was reporting in the Wall Street Journal that the board is going to officially rebuff, which we expected, officially rebuff Musk's bid. They've already put in um, a clause that's known as a poison pill mm-hmm. to try to stop it, um, which is where they sort of – it's a shareholder proposal that basically increases the number of shares that the company has to sell – so that it diminishes and dilutes the value and number of Musk shares. So it dilutes his power and his ability to take over the company. Um, A lot of people also don't take this entirely seriously. I mean, Elon Musk is, you know, a master marketer. He's a builder and entrepreneur, but he's also a mega marketer of himself. Um, So a lot of people don't take it seriously as well. Well, what is it that he's told us so far? What do we know about his vision for the social media platform? So last week, he did an interview at the TED conference in Vancouver, and he elaborated on his thoughts about free speech. And what was interesting about it and disappointing to a lot of people who work in technology is that he kind of described this vision of what I called in an article, like a free, like Twitter should be a free speech utopia. He didn't say the word utopia. He said it should be a town square. Now, it is a town square, but he, he said in a lot of different ways, he said it should be inclusive which can mean a lot of things. But if you, if you read between the lines and listen to what he was saying, he was actually saying that, and he said it before, that he, he thinks that the tech companies have gone too far in the direct content moderation of censoring people's posts, of taking down posts, and of creating rules of the road on their services to stop things like hate speech or misinformation. Okay. And, um, and he's called himself a free speech absolutist in the past, so... It's this belief that um, the answer to really bad speech, horrible things that people can say, is just counter speech, is more speech. But I've been reporting on this field for now nine years, and many people who have started in that camp of free speech absolutism have kind of seen where the world is today and said, no, counter speech doesn't always drown out horrific speech, especially when the the, the misinformation is coming from someone like the president of the United States. You know, Trump was one of the biggest pushers of misinformation and disinformation until Mm -hmm. Twitter uh, disabled his account and banned him permanently. So thoughts have evolved on this, but Musk's thoughts don't appear to have evolved. And there was a lot of response in the technology world over the weekend of why is this guy living in the past, like this 90s-era utopian vision right, right. of this public square that's just going to solve itself, almost like the hand of the free market? Well, well let me circle back to something you, you brought up. You, you said that in that interview he talked about him wanting Twitter to be this inclusive arena for free speech, right? You brought it up yourself, Elizabeth. You've got nine years working on this specifically. What do you make of that? Well, when 
he's not talking about inclusivity in the way a Black Lives Matter activist would talk about inclusivity, which is around protection. There's this feeling, this is not what he's saying, but there's, there, okay, let me start this way. There's kind of two notions of inclusivity. There is the notion that that many people who work at places like Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube ascribe to these days, which is that you have to have rules of the road. You have to have rules against things like misinformation and hate speech, because if you don't, you are going to push off like people, like look at how women get harassed on the, on, on look at my colleague Taylor Lorenz today, you know, getting harassed on social media. You, the, 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 the hate mongers of social media, and we know how much that, that, that's, that's a large part of social media today, will drive other voices off the platform, and it won't be inclusive. So that's what a lot of advocates say, and also a lot of people who believe that the companies need to take a strong hand in policing their services. They say in order for these platforms to be broadly inclusive, which was must term broadly inclusive, mm-hmm. then you need to have these rules because – that is actually how you create a safe space on platforms like this. And for a long time, Twitter, I mean, Twitter's really not a safe space, but it was much worse even five, six years ago before they started initiating all this stuff, what, the, what they call the Healthy Conversations Initiative. Before the whole Healthy Conversations stuff they did, I mean, peop, women and people of color and, and anybody really who was harassed brutally on Twitter would complain to Twitter, and they wouldn't even get a response. I mean, the company literally had no customer service. It had no mechanisms even for fielding yeah. that kind of complaint. And so, you know, this horrible stuff was rife on the platform. It's, it's definitely better today, though there's plenty of examples of rule-breaking. Um, Musk's vision of Twitter, I think when he says an inclusive arena, arena based on reading the tea leaves of his other comments, is he's talking about people who have been kicked off the platforms as a result of what they said, maybe for putting out what they call hate speech misinformation. You know, Musk has himself put out um, tweets. You know, he's a super prolific tweeter. Like, he was almost tweets like as much as Trump. I mean, they, he tweets a crazy amount of times. I'm yeah. trying to count it up. And, you know, he had tweeted, um, he had tweeted content la- uh, early, in, early on in the pandemic uh, from uh, doctors in Bakersfield, California, who um, basically had pushed out ideas about COVID that later turned out to be inaccurate and misinformation. And it was fairly known at the time that it was also misinformation. And when you look back to where did this conspiracy theory yeah. spread, it actually was like Elon Musk's account had a big role in it because he has so many Twitter followers. And so, you know, he's somebody, and a lot of those people who have been pushing COVID misinformation have been outright banned. And Musk has had some connection to them. Hmm. And he also, after the January, the most interesting moment for me was after the January 6th insurrection, um, all the whole tech world moved to take a stronger hand against misinformation because prior to the insurrection, it wasn't clear that, you know, when people were pushing the big lie and pushing ideas about election fraud, um, misinformation that the election had been, uh, our democratic process in the 2020 election was fraudulent. The tech platforms had this attitude of, well, that's just speech and we're not going to censor speech. But a lot of that speech ended up leading to very angry, violent communities that some of whom, you know, a small portion of whom ended up doing illegal things at the Capitol, but a small but significant. And so 
the tech platforms took really strong action after January 6th and banned Trump and lots of other supporters of Trump, like QAnon. And the whole tech world, like, broadly agreed with this, even though it provoked huge anger on the right. But Elon Musk was, like, the only one, or certainly the loudest one, who said that basically he disagreed with that. Yeah. And he said the, ta- the platforms were going to come to re- regret that decision. So you can see he's somebody who really says, like, you know, that's the free speech absolutism that we're talking about. I see. If you're just tuning in, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and that's Elizabeth Dwoskin from The Washington Post. She's filling us in on Elon Musk's attempt to buy Twitter. Elizabeth, why is he doing this? Is this about money? <laughs> I mean, he said it's not about money, and I can't believe it's about money. I think that... I mean, I wish I, I wish I had a, you know, a window into his, a greater window yeah. into his mind. But I think that, you know, you've heard him over the last year, you know, what I just said about January 6th mm-hmm. and how he spoke out about it. So you hear him increasingly over the last year um, talk about how he's, you know, against this quote-unquote censorship that's happening, which many people just call moderation and rules of the road. And it's a really polarizing issue in our society. And you hear him increasingly being on one side of it. Um, but there's also this idea, you know, he's a person who takes big gambles and bets. And I'll just put out there for those of us who have been in Silicon Valley for a long time, you know, there's always been this conversation here among people with money and, and just in general that Twitter is like this really undervalued asset. You know, Twitter is, has in some ways the social power because of all the influencers that are on it, the leaders that are on it. Twitter has outsized power relative to its stock, societal mm-hmm. power relative to its stock price. Twitter is nothing compared in terms of as a company. It was 5,000-something employees um, in San Francisco, like compared to Facebook, which has, I want to say, more than 70,000 employees now, or a giant like Google. I mean, Google and Facebook, Meta, those are massive. Yeah. When you think about tech giants that are some of the most powerful countries in the world, companies in the world, more powerful than countries, my Freudian slip, um, those are them. And then you think about Twitter, and Twitter is always like this little one punching above its weight (laughs) and oftentimes confronted with the same level and severity of problems as the bigger company, but without any resources, as many resources to tackle it. Um, And though they've put up some very, like, novel policies, actually, that the big companies have followed. Like, they were the first company to label Donald Trump's account to stop people from seeing it, and then the other companies followed that. Mm. So I say all that to say that Twitter, people always have this vision in Silicon Valley, just from a pure financial perspective, that Twitter is like this little jewel in a jewel box that's like cheap. You know, it's cheap. It's it's a cheap jewel. Yeah. And and if you owned it, what could you do with it? And lots of people in Silicon Valley have said for years, oh, Twitter should just be like an app inside Google or an app inside Facebook. Remember, Salesforce was going to buy Twitter at one point. Google was consider, considering buying Twitter at one point. I mean, there's always been stories like this. Yeah. So I think, you know, in Musk's billionaire masters of the universe world, there's been this long conversation about like someone could just sweep up and buy Twitter. And he's probably thinking, look, I'm, you know, annoyed at what's going on. And it's not like I can buy Facebook, which is worth like $175 billion. You know, he can't buy that. Maybe he could get together enough money to buy Twitter. So who knows if he actually can. 10 seconds here, Elizabeth. Before I let you go, I got to ask, what's the likelihood that this deal comes to fruition? I think very, very, very low. Okay. <laughs> I we'll, think it's showmanship. We'll leave it there. Elizabeth Dwoskin is a Silicon Valley correspondent for The Washington Post. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.